electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, what the F? Facebook, FedEx, and the Fed leaving investors with more questions than answers, but have no fear. Our traders are standing by to break down each of these big stories. Plus, pot stocks in rally mode, Congress taking a major step toward legalization. So is this an all clear for the cannabis trade? And later, we are gearing up for a major earnings report from Nike. The retailer reports er earnings results tomorrow after the bell. How our traders are positioned heading into this print. We start off with a taper tee-up. Jay Powell telling the market to get ready because the Fed is about to cut back on its bond buying binge. The Fed also signaling rate hikes could happen as soon as this year. None of that rattling the market today. Stocks popping with all three major averages gaining around 1%. So let's get right to it. Steve Leisman's got more on the fallout from the Fed. Hi, Steve. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, the Federal Reserve strongly suggesting it's on the verge of reducing its asset purchases, saying that if the economy continues to progress as expected, a moderation that is in, in uh, asset purchases, may soon be warranted. It was just a bit unclear, but it appears as if the Fed is headed for announcing it will reduce the $120 billion in monthly asset purchases in November and start those reductions in December. While no decisions were made, participants generally view that, so long as the recovery remains on track, a gradual tapering process that concludes around the middle of next year is likely to be appropriate. So a fresh round of Fed forecasts lowered growth due to the effects of the recent outbreak of COVID and found the committee split on when that first rate hike will come. Nine are forecasting a rate hike next year. That's up from seven. And nine forecast no hike. Powell also addressed the controversy over trading practices and asset holdings by Fed officials. He said the recent news reports and financial disclosures by Fed officials shows the Fed's code of conduct has to change. It is now clearly seen as not adequate to the task of, of, uh, of really uh, sustaining the public's trust in us. We need to make changes, and we're going to do that as a consequence of this. This will be a thoroughgoing and uh, uh, comprehensive review. We're going to gather all the facts um, and, and look at ways to further tighten our rules and, uh, and standards. Powell did not say how long it would take to, for the Fed to make those changes, but he uh, agreed uh, with uh, what the, we had reported here on CNBC, Fed officials owning uh, uh, the same assets that the Fed was buying, Melissa. Uh, they shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, and he himself owning muni bonds, which the Fed was buying, which you pointed out in your story, Steve. Um, he said that was not right. I thought that was really interesting as well. In terms of the um, overarching, just sort of the direction of the Fed, within the, within the broader framework of the Fed being overly dovish, though, it seems like there is a hawkish move here in terms of rate expectations, no? I, you know, you could say that. I wouldn't disagree with you, Melissa. It, it, it's very slight, though. I, I really think... And I'd be interested in what the traders think about this, that if 
Really what's happening here is there's one instead of no rate hikes in 2022. I don't think Seymour would throw up his hands and start screaming, uh, run for the hills. I don't think that that's the way they, they, would, they would work here. Uh, you know, um, uh, maybe Guy would, I'm not sure. But, but the, the idea being that um, <laughs> it's one quarter point rate hike. I think if I was looking for a reason to get nervous, it would be the following scenario. The Fed is reducing, is, is tapering too late, giving more fuel to inflation, and that it gets to the beginning of next year, it's still in that 4 or 5% rage on the CPI and has to end up pulling forward rate hikes even further. If we are, if we're going to be where the forecast is right now, I would mm-hmm. not consider that a major reason of concern. And that's sort of what Jamie Dimon hinted at in an interview with um, CNBC 18 overnight, yeah. Steve. Um, yeah. and, and, and bingo, because that's exactly where Guy Dami, I think, would fall. Guy. <laughs> no, listen, I mean, I'm, I, I can't run anymore, so clearly I'm not going for the hills. But, you know, the concern, <laughs> listen, there's no question that they've done, in terms of our world, Steve, they've done everything um, since October of 2018. They've done everything extraordinarily well in, in telling the market what the market wants to and needs to hear. My concern all along has been there, there potentially could be a misstep in this. And these are my words, not nobody else's. This corner they seemingly are painting themselves into gets smaller and smaller, and I just see less of a, uh, an exit strategy available to them. That's been my concern. It will remain my concern. Guy, With that said, good for them. Guy, do you know how a guy can, like, pitch like an almost perfect game, give up one hit, lose the game one nothing, and nobody remembers the game. It wasn't, an imp- it wasn't a great game. What you said, I think, is perfect to this thing. If the Fed ends up getting out of this, reducing QE, getting down to zero, gradually raising rates, without a major tantrum in the market, without a major outbreak in inflation, then you're right. It did everything perfect from 2018. But if it ends up with this inflation problem, having to bring forward those interest rates, well, then it got more than maybe one hit. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a, a, a really bad inning, uh, and it was ended up not being the outing that we what we thought it was. All right, um, even I, who have no knowledge of sports, can understand that analogy. Steve, thank you. <laughs> it's always great to see you, Steve sure. Leisman, on top of the story. Um, Steve Grasso, what are your thoughts? So. There are people that, and Guy was, is one of them, right, that feel that the Fed has waited too long to taper as it is. So there are people in that camp already for the running for the hills. But I guess the bigger question would be, what happens if they start tapering and they made the, they made the distinction between raising rates and tapering? What happens if they start tapering and rates don't go higher? That would be my question for Steve, but you let the guest go, but I'm not asking. It's rhetorical now. <laughs> what, what, what would the market do to that? And I would suggest that the market would sell off because then there, there's no one at the switch and all things are out of the Fed's control. And maybe they are already, but maybe now market participants have to realize that the Fed or no one has control over inflation. So you're basically saying that you're afraid that the Fed's going to taper and that rates aren't going to respond whatsoever to that, to that change in policy. Um, Tim Seymour. I, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Finish. Yes. So, yeah, so 
I, 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 what, I'm, what I'm afraid of is the knee-jerk reaction that rates spike higher off the taper or gradually move higher, and then they just hit a wall at 1.6 in the tenure. That would be my biggest fear. Tim? Well, I, let's stay with the, the sports metaphor and using America's uh, national pastime baseball, I think, is a great place to do it. I think the better metaphor is leaving the pitcher out there uh, one batter too long. Um, the guy that pitches a great game, but it's time to take him out. It, it's, it's, it's been two or three meetings uh, where the Fed is, uh, should have taken uh, a lot of this tapering uh, conversation off the board. In other words, they, they could have begun this. And, and so, you know, we're going to talk about FedEx, but when you talk about labor-intensive industries, um, there's nothing transitory about what's going on in the labor market right now. And, and so this gets back to where Steve, you know, and, and Guy, but Steve highlighted where there could be an issue here, which is, is that inflation is, is really something that the Fed is unable to control. And, and again, record job openings. Uh, you've, you've got a dynamic here where uh, when you hear about FedEx having these massive labor shortages in certain hubs uh, and what it's doing to their overall business, it takes you back front and center to a, a place where I think the Fed, and, and again, going from seven Fed presidents to nine in June uh, into September, who actually think that first hike is in 20. Uh, 2022. The delta on that, in other words, the change to me, I think is significant. Not one rate hike in 2022, but a Fed that's feeling some urgency to move faster. And it's all going to be relative to a point where they're going to have to move faster than the market has heard them talk about it before. Uh, that's what has me concerned. And again, uh, I think the medium term for the Fed is still very, very unclear um, as it relates to inflation expectations. So look at the dollar today. Um, that's right here and now what has me concerned for markets and for risk assets, mm -hmm. because 93.50 on the dollar. And if you think about a Fed uh, and, and where we were pre-COVID, pre-massive uh, accommodation, you had a dollar at 96 to 98 or so on the DXY. And I think that will be significant for multiple asset classes if we move quickly there. And again, divergence between central banks, our Fed may be moving faster than others. So, Karen, how do you interpret the market reaction to all of this then? I mean, if we should be concerned about a Fed that will have to increase rates at a faster pace than what any of us are anticipating at that point, but there's still a lot of runway between now and then, what do you do? Because we saw the markets go higher today. Is that the right answer? I'm not sure. I was actually thinking that the knee-jerk reaction would be down. You know, mm -hmm. I often thought of this old scenario as the market has the Fed hostage or the other way around, like in a bank, and says, you know what, if nobody makes any sudden moves, we'll all get out of here alive. And I feel like Jay Powell has felt like his job is just telegraph, telegraph, telegraph. Whatever it is, as long as you don't surprise the market and you give them ample time, they'll react okay. So... I think that I, I was surprised with the mid-tapering. I don't know the answer. If someone knows, please tell me about the tapering, the cadence of the tapering. Is that all linear if they begin in, let's say, December and end, you know, six months later? I don't know that that, that the every month. That's sort of of interest to me. And I think that they were right to sort of pause a little. I think the Delta variant ended up being more dramatic than we thought, and we've seen a little bit of a slowdown. And so I think they, they've been doing the right thing so far. So um, I don't know that 22 or 23 for a raise makes any difference right now. We're pretty short-term focused market, so whether it's the, you know, the end of the 22 or the beginning of 23, I don't think it matters. 
So, Guy, we often like to play this game on Fast Money. If I told you in advance what the scenario was going to be for the day in terms of major headlines that could be market drivers, guess what direction uh, the markets would take. Would you have guessed this direction that we saw today? No. I, uh, you know, I'm brutally honest, as you know, and the short answer is no, given all the backdrop of what we heard over the last couple of weeks with all the headwinds and obviously not least of which and we're going to talk about it, but that announcement out of Federal Express. I mean, I would have thought you add all those things up and we're going to have another significantly lower day. And we did not. It's important to point out we have done this before, but just be, for the new audience viewers, you know, a taper does not mean um, they're selling things. I mean, all of that means is they're going slower, right? So the Fed balance sheet will continue to grow, albeit at a slower pace. So, yes, we talk about it, rightly so. But just keep in mind that it just means they're, they're, they're growing this balance sheet and buying less things. So it just it, things have, have slowed down a bit. And we'll see. Again, to answer your question, I thought of lower for sure today. What, so what is the direct? I mean, what's your... Tim, what's your best guess on the direction of the markets and which sectors you want to be in, given what the Fed has told us today? Well, I, I, I think if we have some inflation and we're concerned about inflation, we, we want to be in, in reflationary indices, uh, sectors, excuse me, and places where I think we have either mid or late cycle cyclicality, which, which continue to be the places that are, uh, in some cases, suffering from labor pressures, but, but places where, and supply chain disruptions, frankly, um, that I think are, are a lot more temporary. So I like industrials. I like transports. I like banks. Um, I've said that, and I've been you know, on the wrong side of that trade, if you think back to July. Uh, but I think, again, relative to where we are, and, and think about where we were earlier in this week, both of the VIX that, that touched near 30, um, with an S&P that, that you know, hit that 5% down trade. Um, so on some level, today's outcome, not terribly surprising, if the Fed was at least a concern, and right now they haven't changed gears at all. Um, so, again, the parts of the market that you have to like, to me, are the ones that, that I think are going to be most sensitive to higher inflation and to growth that could even be sideways, just worried about the dollar, just worried about some other things that, that may counteract that move. All right. Coming up, ad drama hitting Facebook. We will tell you the big headline that took $40 billion off the company's market cap today. But first, sign sealed disaster. FedEx accelerating losses on the back of earnings. How are traders are navigating the fallout? You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of FedEx dropping hard today after the company cut its full year forecast. The company citing labor shortages for slow delivery and rising costs. Uh, Karen, last night you said you were going to go back and listen to the FedEx call. What would you think? So I, I like to listen to the call as opposed to just reading it because you hear the voices, you get some of the emotion. And last night you can tell um, the analysts were very disappointed and frustrated and they kept coming back to the labor shortage, right? And how much did it actually cost them? And the, the company was, you know, fairly forthcoming about $250 million of labor. They also had inefficiencies due to that shortage. They talked about the example of an Oregon facility that had 35%, I think it was fewer capacity or, or less, or less, or fewer employees. I'm not quite sure, but that led to inefficiencies. So yeah, they had to reroute packages to other places. So. That was the big miss. So the analysts were really harping on, look, we see you spending tons of money, right? Your CapEx was a billion four for the quarter. And they kept getting at this, is your ROIC, your return on invested capital, above your WAC, your weighted average cost of capital? Because if it isn't, if that return isn't above the WAC, you're just basically losing value. And the company kept insisting that it was, they are creating value in their minds, the street was very concerned about you only got it down by about the amount that you missed and yet you say the problems will persist so how are we to think about the rest of the year where you've guided just you know the same except for the first this quarter loss and they were saying it's not like we're standing still we're working on efficiencies they're optimistic about the rest of the year but that this labor part of the problem will persist so you know now i think about all right, what are the analysts going to say? We saw a lot of downgrades today, price target-wise, coming down. And yet, almost to an analyst, their, their targets, their price targets, are well above where the stock is trading. So one other thing worth noting, that uh, the company during the quarter bought 200 and I think they spent 500 and some odd million dollars on stock. They paid an average of about $287 per share. So that may or may not give you some sense of what they think their stock is worth. For me, I, I didn't buy it for a few reasons. One, I'm frustrated. Um, I think that they keep, they will continue to get penalized for the same thing. I know Carol Tomei is coming on tomorrow. I think she's going to do an interview with Sarah on Closing Bell that I really want to watch. I think if she says the same thing, we're having problems, then FedEx will trade down again on the exact same news that it traded down on today. If she doesn't have a problem, people think, well, why doesn't UPS have a problem? You know, if UPS doesn't have a problem, why does FedEx have a problem? So um, I feel like it's now a show me story that won't get any love. Maybe if the market's up better, it'll trade better. But it's going to be another quarter. We've seen them miss and then make and then miss and then make. But, you know, it's frustrating. Right. So all in. What did I do? Nothing. Just be sad. <laughs> And that's terrible in and of itself. <laughs> um, but there are plenty of other shareholders out there who are also saddened by this whole turn of events. It may not be a quarter also is what I'm thinking, Tim Seymour. I mean, these labor shortages, if they do persist, you're hitting the holiday season. And in the past, we've seen difficulties with the with the delivery uh, with the delivery companies in terms of making sure they're staffed up and, and ready to roll. And if we still have those shortages, and let, let's say that Portland, Oregon hub, which only had 65% staffing, yeah. remains at that level. I mean, what happens then? Their, their prime money-making quarters is threatened. 
So, uh, look, the, the ground margin inflected below UPS this quarter. And, and you know, this is really, it, you, you know, you referenced that. Karen referenced the kind of the relative uh, it's, you know, relative analysis, FedEx, UPS. First of all, FedEx uh, revenues grew uh, 12%. Earnings fell 14%. Like on ground, revenues were up 20%. Earnings, excuse me, revenues were up 9%. Earnings fell 20% year over year. So the consolidated margin difference between UPS and FedEx is is the difference in the multiples of these companies and and probably deserved right now because I, it just seems like uh, and I think this is uh, I think this was Scott Group at Wolf's title FedEx a lot to fix and 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 again on the consolidated margin if you put the same margin on FedEx that you have at UPS which is about thirteen and a half percent. The EPS at FedEx in 22 goes from, which was downgraded to by the company, to 20 bucks a share uh, in the midpoint. It goes to 35 bucks a share. So again, this is a company that's nowhere near as profitable as UPS right now, despite the fact that you've got the tailwind of much, much higher pricing. And, and seemingly, this integration of TNT and some other dynamics, and obviously, again, international air freight pricing, uh, and they announced the, the increase in pricing of 5.9% two days earlier, which was a decade-high number. So let's be clear. They're getting these prices through. Very disappointing, um, but maybe a major opportunity here. That's the story. That's the tease. And, and what multiple you put on at FedEx, um, you know, right now, you're looking at 11 or 12 times at best. Um, but uh-huh. if you could get that up to 13, 14... Very important. Real quick, Rosso, has FedEx just become a no-touch in your view? No. Well, well, first of all, you have to wait on a three-day rule. But everything that I heard from the company that Karen uh, laid out pretty pretty well seems like a transitory event. They have higher wages, but I don't know if that's just one-time bonuses. They they basically have a couple of things that they could probably wade through and the stock is oversold it's 18 on an rsi i wouldn't go out and buy it tomorrow but if it holds let's call it 229 i w- in the next couple of days I, w- I would rather be a buyer they hired more seasonal workers so i think they could make it through here i think that the billboard first blush says sell i say wait a couple of days and then probably try to buy on a discount real quick die same question to you Look, I power pitched it when it was 295. Yeah. I mean, and to Karen's point, if you look at these analysts, they did lower prices, but their price targets ranging even with the lowered price targets anywhere from sort of 285 to 360 on the high end. So, a lot of people still believe in it for a number of different reasons, not least of which valuation, but the problems they're facing are eerily reminiscent of the self-inflicted things that happened in 2018 and 19. Yeah. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Facebook under pressure. The social media giant falling after underreporting ad performance. The traders dig into the details next. Plus, we're looking under the hood as crypto wallets come to the Robinhood app. So what does this mean for the crypto space? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. 
when the truth is... I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some big news out of Facebook after the close. Let's get to Julia Borson with the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, Facebook CTO Mike Schreffer announcing he'll be stepping down from the role next year. He will be replaced by Andrew Bosworth, a longtime Facebook executive who created Facebook's news feed years ago and more recently created Facebook's AR VR organization, which was renamed Facebook Reality Labs. That division oversees Oculus, Portal, as well as Facebook's work in the metaverse. Now, this all comes on the heels of Facebook warning earlier today about the negative impact of Apple's new operating system limiting its ability to target ads. The company reiterating that it expects the iOS updates to have a greater impact in the third quarter than in the second quarter, noting the challenge of measuring the impact of ad spending, saying they've underreported iOS web conversions. That's the amount of people who act after seeing an ad, and they've underreported it by 15%. Facebook saying, quote, the cost of achieving your business outcome may have increased, and it's also gotten harder to measure your campaigns on our platform. That lack of accuracy could make businesses lose confidence in the impact of their Facebook ad campaigns, and it could make them think that they need to spend more. Facebook says it is working to find new ways to improve its ad measurement to, quote, minimize the amount of personal information we process while still allowing us to show personalized ads and measure their effectiveness. Now, analyst Barton Crockett tells us it is possible that the market is overreacting. The stock did drop pretty dramatically on this news. He says that's because this warning was aimed at advertisers, not at investors. But we'll have to see what Facebook says to investors when it reports its next earnings report. Melissa, this issue is sure to be in focus. Julia, as I recall, in the last earnings call, uh, Facebook had already said that they would see a greater impact from this change in the third quarter versus the second quarter. So is it the level of detail that you think is scaring investors at this point? Because we've heard this before. We have heard this before. It is kind of unusual, though, for them to reiterate this kind of warning um, as we near the end of the quarter. So I think it's that reiteration and also the specificity of saying, hey, it's hard to measure this. If we were off by 15 percent, you know, lack of accuracy is not good. You want to know exactly who you're targeting and what the impact is of those ads. That's crucial for the advertisers as well as for Facebook. All right. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, Karen, how did you interpret this? So on the headline, it sort of looks negative, but I didn't necessarily think that it was, right? It was interesting to me that Snap was up and uh, Google was up. And so they're talking about, you know, is it going to become more expensive for advertisers? Well, one of the beneficiaries of ads being more expensive to me would likely be Facebook. It's fully saturated yet. If we see the ad load get even higher, I don't know. So to me, I I do think it was an overreaction. It's not all negative, necessarily. So we've seen Facebook kind of warn on things many times. We saw it, as you said, on last quarter, although I think it was just implemented maybe uh, very beginning of the quarter. So I think it may have taken some time to get a real handle on it. But I think um, we've seen them talk about expenses being higher than we expected, things like that. And yet again and again and again, 
ultimately, you know, there's not that many places to go. And uh, Facebook valuation, when I look at it, if you back out the cash, it's trading at 20 times, 20 times earnings, 20 times earnings. So that's not expensive in this market, and it's certainly not expensive for a company like Facebook. And we've seen these existential threats many times. At mm -hmm. some point, maybe it'll be one, antitrust, whatever, Cambridge Analytica, whatever it may be. But so far, it hasn't been. So I'm long Facebook. I'm staying with Facebook. I'm interested to see what the next quarter brings. But I, I think this was sort of an overreaction. There's always been a floor to the stock guy because it is seen as the only game in town for advertisers to get the reach that they're looking for. Um, at some point, though, that, may, that refrain may not work. No, we learned that a couple, I don't know, now, you know, time sort of passes by very quickly, but we learned that um, during the period of that two-week period of time when uh, advertisers left, uh, that didn't seem to really hurt the stock for more than a week or so. And quite frankly, what we learned is advertisers have nowhere to go, number one. And number two, people don't leave the platform. You know, Karen mentioned existential risk. She's right. The one I've been concerned about for quite some time is if it falls under the purview of ESG investing, which, by the way, is not that far-fetched now. I think you're hearing more and more people talk about that. Then you had the story about Project Amplify, which I find it just to be fascinating. I mean, everybody wants to be liked. Apparently, Facebook put things in place to be liked, where you know they talked about you know highlighting the good news stories about Facebook and sort of tamping down the bad ones. I mean, there's just so many things to be nauseated by by this company. But the business model and in terms of where people go and where advertisers are are not one of them. Coming up, the wallet wars. Robinhood making a big move into Coinbase's turf today. We'll break down the details. Plus, pot stocks in rally mode as Congress takes a big step toward legalization. So is the beaten down cannabis trade finally turning a corner? Stay with us. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back. CNBC's Delivering Alpha is just one week away. Join the biggest names in investing at this can't-miss virtual event. It's not too late to sign up. Register right now at DeliveringAlpha.com. Shares of Robinhood riding higher today as the online trading platform launches a new crypto wallet. Let's get to Kate Rooney, who's got the details. Hi, Kate. Hey, Melissa. This has been a long-awaited product launch for Robinhood. The trading startup now allowing people to hold their own Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in what's known as a wallet. It had been a point of contention on social media as well. Robinhood users have complained that, yes, they had exposure to crypto prices, but not ownership over the assets themselves. I sat down with Robinhood's chief product officer on TechCheck earlier. She told me that the slow rollout was intentional. They really needed the right safeguards in place before they could debut this. And it's not launching right away. To start, Robinhood is rolling this out for a select group of users and then soliciting feedback along the way. This, of course, is the latest move for Robinhood of the crypto space as it becomes increasingly important for the company's top line. We had in the most recent quarter crypto accounting for more than half of transaction based revenue. That was up from just 17 in the 17 percent in the first quarter and just three percent in the same time last year. And today's announcement also sets up some more competition in the space. Crypto wallets had been a huge differentiator for some of the early movers like Coinbase, of course, and Gemini. Robinhood shares up more than 10% on that news today. Melissa, back to you. Uh, Kate, forgive my ignorance on this and, and crypto wallets, but how did Robinhood users before, when they, were in, when they were trading crypto, how did they hold their crypto? Did they actually have to move it off the platform to separate custody? Yeah, so it, 
they didn't hold the keys. There was this slogan mm-hmm. online, if it's not your key, it's not your crypto. So they really were buying sort of derivatives of crypto. They didn't actually hold it themselves. So they sort of had exposure to the prices. They didn't actually hold the keys to their own wallet, which, yes, in some ways, you know, if you want the ownership over it, you want the ability to potentially transfer it off, hold it in something like cold storage, which is a way to, to hold it on a, a hard drive off of an exchange. It's helpful, but there's other people that might say they don't necessarily want the keys. They don't want the responsibility. So it's unclear you know, how many people, it might have just been sort of a, a vocal minority who are calling for this, but it was definitely getting traction. And it seems like they're now catching up with Coinbase, who's had, they have had that product and the ability for people to hold their own cryptocurrency really from the get-go. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. Our next guest says Robinhood is better positioned to win the wallet wars. Let's bring in Dan Dolov. He covers both Robinhood and Coinbase at Mizuho. You say Robinhood's a clear winner. Why is that? Yeah, look, thanks for having me on the show. Always great to be here. So, look, I think Robinhood is much better positioned. And the, the key thing about Robinhood, and that's what people don't fully understand, is the engagement on the app is way bigger than the engagement of any other app that we've seen. So people use it literally. Some people use it multiple times a day. Some people use it multiple times an hour. It's the ultimate super app. And they're giving away everything that Coinbase gives for a fee. They give it away for free. And I think that's why Robinhood is in a much better position long term to become sort of the one of the most leading kind of next uh, next gen neobanks uh, versus Coinbase. Coinbase, which is still charging for a service that you should essentially get for free. Um, what happens if payment for order flow is banned or changed? I mean, if, if free is the only differentiator and that goes away, then then how does it stand out? I think that people that use Robinhood actually really like using it. And I think there's a massive, I mean, the engagement there is not just because it's free. The engagement there is because they figured something out about how to approach their customer base that I think is invaluable and people really adhere to it. So if it's banned completely, obviously they're going to have to change the way they're doing business. But I mean, this is probably a, a you know, like a, a, a bit aggre- a bit of an aggressive uh, assumption that it would be banned completely. So we don't know yet what, how it's going to end up. But it's a good point. So, Dan, would you agree that Robinhood uh, was forced basically into having to do this? And, and I do agree that it's Coinbase's loss, whether it's incremental or, or, or more than that, and Robinhood's gain. When I look at crypto, though, what's coming down the pike? More regulation, more compliance, more taxation. Does anyone really benefit from this two years out, or does crypto really suffer from this? It's a great question. I think the key here, and then let's bring in maybe the Square and the Cash App into the picture here, as well as PayPal, take the whole universe and look at it. The key here is diversification. The more diversified you are, the better off you are. So if you take Coinbase, it's all about crypto. So they will live or suffer depending on where crypto is. If you think about Robinhood, you've got crypto, you've got equities, and there's you've got the banking side, which is kind of like the future, right? Same thing goes for the Cash App Square, very diversified, or PayPal, Venmo. So I think that's the key here is diversification and the ability to survive if one area of the market does better or worse in any given time. So why do you think Coinbase was up on this, Dan? Um, I think it might have been the reaction of, hey, you know, like, because the key future, I guess, if you think about it, if you're bullish on Coinbase, right, we're not even that bearish for the neutral. If you're really bo- bullish on, on Coinbase, you're bullish on the crypto economy becoming a real thing and the ability to pay with crypto or pay with Bitcoin. And I think the, 
you know, kind of like seeing others do the same thing is mm -hmm. basically maybe signaling to the market that, hey, um, you know, Bitcoin and crypto and Ethereum are here to stay and we're going to be able to use it as a means of payment and people are going to have to keep it, you know, be able to keep it on their wallet. Right. So it may be sort of reassurance of sort of the resiliency of crypto as a payment mechanism. And mm -hmm. it, that might have been the reaction on, on uh, right. Coinbase. Dan, great to speak with you. Thanks. Thank you. Of, of Mizuho. Karen, what'd you make of the story and the impact on, on the two stocks? So it was interesting. I'm thinking that it did have a negative impact on Coinbase, which would have been up more in a big up market and mm -hmm. in a market where Coinbase, where crypto was rebounding. But then those two things being a positive outweighed the negative of the Robinhood thing. One thing he brought up that I thought was interesting that, you know, he feels that Robinhood will win. I'm wondering, what is the average account size of for crypto for Robinhood customer versus uh, for, at Coinbase? I'm guessing, but I don't know, that the Coinbase average size is much bigger. But Dan explained that there, it seems like the Robinhood trader is far more active. And that's interesting. That's, that's how they're going to make money. Um, so uh, he's sort of convincing me. <laughs> Coming up, banking on the pot stocks will tell you what just happened on Capitol Hill that sent cannabis companies blazing higher. Plus, hitting the brakes, a big headline that had investors piling out of Peloton today. We've got all that and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. U.S.-based pot stocks topping the tape today. The House of Representatives passing the Safe Banking Act, which allows banks to serve cannabis companies without fear of penalty. The bill now heads to the Democrat-controlled Senate. So, Tim, what's the take on the news? Um, does, this, does this really warrant the moves that we've seen in, in the MSOs today? Well, I think it does. And remember, we, we talked about this last week when we first got some sense that you could be pushing safe banking through a bill nobody expected. Uh, my friend Todd Harrison used the term spark in the dark. I, I think that's what this is, a headline that the industry didn't expect. Um, so to the extent that this is now the fifth time the House has voted through safe banking, not a big deal. The fact this moves on to the Senate um, doesn't necessarily compete with the Schumer bill that was so comprehensive that it was too much for the Senate to pass and dead on arrival. But actually, this has room. And I think this is a bipartisan issue. Um, the other piece, uh, the important dynamic here is this, this is a piece of legislation that will move quickly. Um, that you could actually see safe banking towards the end of the year. So what does that mean? It doesn't open up exchanges. It doesn't open up all institutions into cannabis. But it, it, it gets it on a federal level in terms of banking and FinCEN. It gets momentum in a sector that really needs macro momentum at a time when the bottom up has been very, very strong. So, again, I, I think this is very exciting news. Uh, probability, I'll let other people do that on passage in the Senate. What it does show, though, is there's a strong constituency and a bipartisan support for for uh, safe banking, which doesn't deschedule. Um, but if you listen to some of the companies that have come to market and been able to list on the NASDAQ, what's really interesting is that lending as a service is something that might be allowable in a safe banking environment, bringing more lenders, bringing more mm -hmm. capital. But you asked about the movement in the stocks because, again, people that have been following cannabis know that despite very strong profitability and bottom up uh, sectors down 40 percent, um, I, I think this is a case where, you know, at 12 times 2022 to 2023 EBITDA is a really cheap sector. And all you need is a little bit of a spark. So um, three-day moves in some of these companies has been, you know, 15 percent um, oversold conditions. And as I said last week, it shows how spring-loaded this sector truly is because the fundamentals are strong.
All right. Uh, let's get to a buzzkill here. On Peloton, shares are down more than 6% today after market research company Yipit Data released a report tracking a slight step down in demand last week. Uh, Karen, you actually flagged this move earlier today. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with Yipit, actually, but I guess a lot of people are. I don't know. It's it's just interesting. You know, clearly this is a story that's built on momentum and um, just the hint of a slowdown is enough to take, you know, 7% off the stock where it's already down a fair amount in the last couple of months. So I don't own it and I, I love the product. I use it all the time. But um, to me, these kind of super high flyers are scary in the face of a bit of a slowdown or the market expectations being too high. And if rates move, I do think we'll see all these high flyer PEs come in. Yeah. So sort of in the crosshairs. Guy, would you agree? Yeah, and we, you know we talked about this. I think on September 9th, if memory serves, which it typically does, as you know, I have a bit of an elephant in me. Uh, when they started the private apparel, remember we talked about that on the show that night. We mm-hmm. said, "Hmm, that seems to be outside sort of their purview." So, I think the stock could trade down to that 84 level, which is where it bottomed out at in the spring, and then maybe take another look at it. All right, still ahead. We're lacing up. Nike reports earnings tomorrow after the bell. The stock running higher into the print, but option traders are betting on a breakdown coming. We've got the trade when Fast Money returns. Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Unity Software. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. All right, check out shares of Nike jumping higher ahead of tomorrow's earnings report. Despite today's gains, option traders are saying, just sell it. Mike Coe is here with the action. Mike. Yeah, so we did see about 1.3 times the average daily call volume in Nike. And right now the options market is implying a move of about 5.6% higher or lower by the end of the week. That's considerably less than the 7% that the stock has moved the day following earnings averaged over the last eight quarters. And the most active options were the October 1st weekly 160 strike calls. Well over 2,000 of those traded for $3.70 a contract on average. But what we were seeing there was mostly institutional sales of those options. So sellers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock is not going to rise above that $160 strike price. At the very least, if they're long the stock, they're willing to sell it up just 4%. So that would suggest that they're not expecting the kind of bounce that we saw last quarter when the stock rose 15% following that earnings result. Steve, thoughts on Nike? Yeah, so I'm looking at a chart on Nike, and it bounced right off that 100-day moving average. This is right around 152.30, let's call it. Then everyone, it always enters the conversation when you talk about Nike, you want to compare Under Armour. Under Armour broke its 200-day moving average. That's right around support in the name. And the last time it broke its 200-day moving average, Under Armour, that is, it rallied 40%. I'm not saying it's going to rally 40%, but the setup looks like it wants to bounce from here. So I would not be a buyer of Nike and I will self would you rather I'd rather be a buyer of Under Armour. I'll let that go. We don't have much time left. Um, Tim (laughs) Seymour, though, uh, China and Delta, that would be my concern for this quarter. Yeah, and we've 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 had that conversation around Nike, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the last few weeks, as as we've heard some of these concerns expressed, especially by some of the peers. And 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 I guess ultimately Nike's uh, 
their, their, their path to glory has been North America and has been innovation and, and seemingly where they continue to have pricing power, not only because of their DTC presence, but where they've really been able to push the supply chain to their advantage. They're one of the few that really can. So um, I don't love the setup into these earnings. Uh, the bar, um, certainly sequentially, very, very difficult and even year over year, very difficult. Uh, but I am long the stock and I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Guy, what do you think of the setup going in? I mean, we have declined a bit as, uh, you know, as Delta concerns. Yeah. Well, more than a more than a bit. I mean, the stock's off about 10 percent from that 174 level ish that we topped out. I think it was an all time high. Now, you go back and look. I know Steve sort of alluded to this. That move back in late May, June, when it traded from the mid 120s up to 152 in a straight line and then the subsequent move higher. So here we are. So we've round tripped that 152 ish. You know, I think the setup is OK. Um, a lot of analysts have taken down their numbers in terms of estimates and stuff, and Vietnam is out there, but all these things are known. You know, anything on the margins that surprises to the upside, and I think the stock is back in the mid-160s. So I think it sets up okay, actually. Yeah. Karen, valuation here at this point, too high? Yeah, it's too high. I mean, it's a great company. I would never short it. Um, I think, you know, they did telegraph the uh, issues with Vietnam, many companies done that. RH did it. Lululemon did it. So they're sort of setting us up for that. So, or I don't remember exactly when it was. Recently, you said, you know, is Christmas going to be ruined here? And um, it's starting to, I mean, every day that goes by and the port congestion doesn't seem to get any better and inventory, I mean, getting product, you know, it's either you either it's going to be late or you have to do it a more expensive way. And can you pass it on to the customer? We always talk about sales delayed or sales denied. And I don't know for Nike, probably a mix of of the two. So um, I'm not long, but I wouldn't short it. Fewer than 100 days till Christmas at this point. FYI, public service announcement. Mike Coe, thank you. Good to see you. For more options action, full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Final trades up next. celebration of the first day of fall we are harvesting new opportunities tim seymour what's yours <laughs> wow beautiful um, everything the fed said today was good for banks especially bank of america uh harvest on <laughs> new opportunities karen <laughs> yeah facebook down 40 dollars from its high i think that this is just another opportunity to buy it in line it's the value of the fangs steve Planet Fitness. People want out of their homes, off of their Peloton, and back at the gym to socialize. Planet Fitness is up 17% from August 19th. Peloton mm -hmm. down 18%. Right. Case closed. Guy. STZ. Mad Money starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.